guys. This is Staying Alive, the podcast, and I'm Louis J. And man, I'm super excited today. I've got a good friend uh, as a guest today, uh, Andrew Quelo, who is uh, the founder of Monty and Co. Uh, which is co-founder. I should jump in there before my partners cut me. You off. know, fair enough. That's true. <laughs> Actually, nothing's done in isolation. Uh, co-founder of Monty and Co. It's a luxury men's lifestyle brand that takes care of accessories, bags. And the likes, and uh, they're Canadian, which is really exciting for us because we like to see Canadian talent um, come to life. And, you know, beyond that, <clears throat> the, uh, the reason I wanted to have you on, Andrew, is because, you know, you're a fashionpreneur. And I love the, I love the com- combination of the words because fashion and entrepreneur, it just, it really kind of sums up the world that you're in. And, uh, of course, the podcast is about entrepreneurship, leadership, creativity, and, um, you know, those life experiences that help shape us. And I couldn't think of a better guest who's checking every single one of those boxes. So welcome to the podcast, bud. Thanks, Louie. I'm, uh, I'm pumped to be here. Awesome. Sunday morning. Uh, got a nice coffee in us. We're ready to chat. And uh, usually I'm on the other side of this doing my own podcast, but it's nice to be a guest for once. And Well, that's right. I mean, it is, it's nice to see it from other angles, but that's uh, another accomplishment that you can add to the resume. I mean, you've got a, a very successful successful podcast that... Um, it's the Mr. Andrew uh, com or show yep. podcast. Yep. Sorry, pardon me. All good. Um, but I love that you're providing value and insight to those people that want to get into the fashion game. And you've got a very storied past. And I love, I love hearing, you know, what got you there. So why don't we start like with that? Why don't we talk about you personally and what kind of led you to being the entrepreneur that you are? So let's take your, uh, your history. Yeah, so um, in the context of, I guess, you know, the, the Monty & Co. story, um, this idea kind of goes back to, like, 2012. Uh, I was, you know, like most people, you go to university because your parents tell you to. Um, you want to get a secure job. So, you know, I came out of university. I was working uh, at Scotiabank. And while we were there, while I was there, um, you know, you're going to work every day. You're dressing up, you're wearing a suit, potentially sometimes, tie, whatever. Uh, and you kind of want an accessory to complement that look. And at the time, you know, this is like 2012 to give people some context. There wasn't much out there for men, right? Uh, there was like super expensive options like Louis Vuitton um, and, and the Gucci's, like all the brands that everyone knows. Or you were looking at like fast fashion options like, you know, H&M or Forever 21 these weren't products that were gonna were that weren't gonna last long. Disposable fashion. Yeah, which mm-hmm. which you know who, that that wasn't what I was looking for. My partners were looking for. We wanted something great. We wanted something stylish. We wanted something that complemented our our outfits as we went to the office, as we went to the gym, um, as we went to you know cottages and weekends away. Um, and and there re- really wasn't anything in the market. So uh, so we started it. We created it. And uh, you know it, it was. You know, like anything else in evolution, uh, the first iterations were really, really crappy, um, really ugly. I look back sometimes, I'm like, I can't believe we tried to tell people this was nice. <laughs> and, um, you know, it just kind of evolved. We fell in love with uh, really high-quality raw materials like the wool and, and vegetable tan leather um, being ethically made in Toronto. And it just sort of evolved. And I guess where the entrepreneurship thing comes in is, uh, you know, I didn't, didn't really jump in head first off the bat. Um, you know, it was kind of a side hustle, a passion project until about three and a half years ago. And 
I was working in commercial banking and, and we were financing other small and medium sized businesses, entrepreneurs. So I was learning about all these different businesses. I was learning how to read balance sheets and, and P&Ls. And uh, what was standing out to me was the line item on the P&L. It was the owner's salary. And I would just think to myself, you know, if I worked 12 hours a day on my own business and not here at this bank, I could probably be making that amount of money. Okay, so that was the that was the moment of I need to be doing this? <laughs> kind of. And, and just, you know, I, I was turning 30. I was getting married. And I just kind of sat back and thought to myself, like, if it's not now, then it's then it's never. And you're going to wake up at 40, 50, 60 and be like, shit, man, like you had this brand just wavering there on the sidelines that you never did anything with. And now you'll never know. So uh, I guess it was a sense of understanding different businesses, seeing all these successful entrepreneurs from a professional level, but also like not wanting to have regret down the road. Well, it's it's a. Uh it's the story that we live with. It's, it's pieces that, you know, um, inspire entrepreneurs to kind of take that leap. They don't know where they get that push, but in this case, you had a number of pieces lined up. You had some friends that were going to be your business partners and, and partnerships in themselves are unique and, and some are very successful. Some are not so successful. So in, in developing the idea, um, is this full on collaboration between you and your partners and how many are they? And you know, what were their backgrounds? Uh, Four partners, we're all best friends. Like, you know, if I'm going away for a boys weekend at the cottage, like, they're all there. Right. So like, we're a family. These are your boys? Um, these are my boys, yeah. Um, you know, everyone's got a different background. Uh, one of my partners is in tech, so uh, he really brings strong value t to the table in terms of e-commerce and uh, in, in that world. Um, you know, one guy's in, in finance, so he's very good strategically is very good when it comes to, to budgeting and, and making sure we make good fiscal decisions. Uh, one guy's in wholesale distribution. So, you know, it's just like a scope of, of different skill sets, but ultimately, you know, we have, we had the passion for this project, for this product and, you know, it's leveraging, you know, four brains is better than one. And mm -hmm. I know you're probably sitting there thinking like, I run my own business and it's hard enough myself, you know, I, I'm in my own head, but um, how, how do you do it with four? But it's, it's also very rewarding. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the goal is to progress the business. And I think we all bring something to the table and, and, and we're really good strategically. And, um, you know, who doesn't want to build something cool with their friends, right? Well, it's a perfect, it's a perfect outcome. It's a scenario that, that makes you realize that it's possible. And your success, I think, has been, um, I mean, I've been watching it. Here's the fun part. If you recall, I was looking at the brand well before we actually met. And we met at a, at a charity fundraiser, mm -hmm. which, you know, serendipitous by accident, by chance, but uh, I think for a reason. And when I found out that that was your brand, I, I was like, something's going on here because I loved, A, the craftsmanship, the quality, the style, the design. So by the time it hit me, you'd worked out all the prototypes and you probably did all your collaboration with your, with your partners to be able to, you know, kind of move this forward to a level that made me look at it and say, this is something worth looking at because I too, you know, like any guy that likes to go away and travel, the, the weekender bag was always a challenge. Either it was a thousand dollars or more, um, or it was to your point that two or $300 product that, you know, would last only a certain amount of time. And there was that, middle ground that really ended up becoming that sweet spot where you you're going to buy a bag you're going to invest in it it's going to last you a long time but it has to be well made and, 
And by the time I'd found you um, and we met each other, then it was like, this is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. I wanted to carry the line in the shops that we have, and you know, I wanted to help support and promote it as much as possible because I believed in it, and uh, I became a loyal fan right off the bat. Um, I love that you know your 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 best friends are part of this program, but you're all very you come from diverse backgrounds, and so that's where this true value that can be added to you know a partnership. Whereas you're not one of the same, and mm-hmm. and often I think that people try to put one of the same together because they happen to be very like minded. And that's, I think, where you have some fail points. Um, and failure, of course, we know is good. Um, but those are the points where the frustrations and the angst come to life. And some people can't get past that. So I'm thrilled to hear that it's lasted as long as it has. And it's got a, it's got a future directory. Um, but more importantly, I love the fact that it was a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Side hustle turned business. Mm-hmm. And so when did you get to that point where all of a sudden it was no longer a side hustle? And you guys were, you know, leaving you know, full-time, uh, you know, very well-secured paying jobs. When did you make that, that distinction? Um, so myself personally, like three years ago, three and a half, just over three years ago, um, but we were having success, right? We, we, we had a crowdfunding campaign that we launched on Indiegogo in 2015 where we raised about like 50 or 60 grand, which helped us with our first production run. So we were able to source the raw materials we wanted, the leather we wanted, um, and, and put together... Uh, an initial collection, which is obviously the biggest hurdle when you're starting a fashion brand, is, is having the money to, to, you know, to buy inventory and and everything you need to produce products. So, um, we had some success back then, 2015. Then, you know, slowly but surely, different opportunities started creeping into you know our horizon. So, uh, you know, at one point we collaborated with Holt Renfrew on a project for um, for Uncrate. I think it's called Uncrate. I can't really remember, but it's a, it's a specific collection within Holt Renfrew that focuses on different regions of the world. And uh, they were doing one on Canada. So naturally, you know, we, we worked on a collaboration with them for that project. Then, you know, while we were, while I was still full time, I was taking three, four days off and going to the trade shows and, and you know, setting up a booth and, and meeting all the buyers. And, you know, you start to have really good conversations and, and sure enough, one of the really good ones we had was with Hudson's Bay and they were really interested in picking us up. And I think it was at that point where you kind of sit back and you're like, you know, these are signs that, that you're supposed to be doing this. And unless you go all in and give it 100% of your energy, 150% of your energy, because that's what it takes. um, You're never, this is never going to go. So I, I just felt that in my heart of hearts that I knew that I couldn't, be working in an office and, and building this brand because listen, we all have a finite amount of energy every day. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anyone says. Like, yes, there's people out there that are working 12 to 16 hours a day. I promise you they're not working at full potential 12 to 16 hours a day. So for me, it was like, how can I maximize eight to 10 hours where I can do really good work and, and, and try to make this thing happen. So that was about three years ago where, you know, I think I just had like a a come to Jesus moment where I was Mm -hmm. like, how many things need to smack you in the face to tell you that, you know, you should at least try to make this a big thing. And, and, and that was kind of the, I guess it was a series of events that got me to that come to Jesus moment. Right. I I mean, some people might get the kick in the pants right off the bat and it's, it's a no brainer. Uh, Yours might've been a series of, of small events that led up to it, but then your, your first out of the gate kind of like deals, they're iconic. I mean, Mm -hmm. Holt Renfrew and, Hudson's Bay, it's what, you know, manufacturers of product 
dream of. So yeah, that must have been a twilight moment when you guys were all sitting back high-fiving on the dock and thinking that this is, let's all quit. <laughs> let's all leave. Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, none of us really have a fashion background. Like, we're not trained, technically trained to become designers. So at some point, you kind of like, how the hell are we doing this, you know? And you do realize that, like any other good story or good brand or, or good business, it's like a lot of it comes down to will. You know, a lot of it is not necessarily skill set. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not devaluing that. But a lot of it is like, how bad do you want it? And those are the those are the brands and the businesses that win is, are the ones that really, really want it that, um, you know, that really push the envelope and, and make shit happen because th that's what it takes. Like on, being an entrepreneur, like they should literally should next to the title should say make shit happen make shit happen yeah. uh, you know i think that's hugely valuable for the people that are listening now especially those that are deciding that they want to get into uh let's say product design i mean this is where you really check all the boxes consider this you know a crowdfunding campaign major brand distribution right off the bat product design manufacturing um and then the business startup itself i mean this is truly the story of entrepreneurship at its best you've You've not simply, in my worlds, I've, you know, I've done product procurement and I resell somebody else's product. We're in product development right now and it's a whole different ball game. Uh, very excited because you can be uh, creative. Um, you can definitely make mistakes along the way. I'm sure when you said your prototypes in the beginning, you look back at them now, um, but it moved you and it pushed you to go further, uh, which is, is great. But I love the fact that all of the things we want to talk about, you've got in your world, and it's part of where you've you've come from and where you're going. So, um, what about that that first you know that first real successful bag? I mean, the one that kind of tipped everybody to say Monty and Co is a player, and we should be looking at them. I mean, uh, how long did it take you to get from concept in your mind to production? Um, wow, I got to think back here. Uh, so, idea ideation 2012. I, I would say. I would say three years. I would say uh, 2012, it was probably late 2012, we started tinkering with the idea, like, should we do this? Could we do this? What would the brand name be? Like, you know, like, how would we go about it? It was more just like strategic, talking it through. And then I think spring of 2013, uh, we started banging the phones and trying to find people to, to make something here locally. Um, we had a bunch of raw materials that we, we had set aside and we we're just trying to find someone to make it. And that first one was just like, no, like, this is not going to work. Um, so I would say two and a half years. 2013 that was that first moment. 2015, we had our crowdfunding campaign where we said, okay, this is a collection that um, maybe is not a completely perfect, but um, it's pretty damn close to what where we want to be. And it, it, that was about a two and a half year window. And what I will say is that you know, everyone don't get caught up on perfect because that will hold you back. Um, everything is iterated, you know, uh, every single, every single business that exists probably doesn't look the way it did when it first started. So, um, that's just one like tidbit of advice that I would jump in and tell great, people great is piece of advice. don't, don't sit there and, and rack your head and, and brain about how everything needs to be perfect. Cause really that's just, it's just, that's just fear. Uh, that's just fear. And that's you making excuses not to do shit and, and be like, oh, it has to be like this and it has to be like that. Just do it. Throw it out in the world. Guess what? The best feedback you're going to get are from your potential customers or hopefully your family if they're actually truly honest. And and then that's how you iterate and you get better. And that's ultimately the goal of, of 
well, I guess of life, but, you know, in business as well. It's often been said that perfection really is just a fear, a fear of failing. And, you know, truly there's no perfectionists. It really is just a matter of, you know, um, making sure that you're very happy with what you're doing. And where does that all of a sudden become okay to produce, you know? And <clears throat> I know that, uh, that in listening to people, kind of how they've developed their brands, they echo your same sentiment. It's like just at some point say it's good and let's move on. And then you'll always end up making that evolution and that improvement, especially when your eyes on the prize, you know, mm -hmm. and you want to make sure that you're in the minds of your audience in a way that makes you feel most proud. And, and I can see that with Monty and co um, manufacturing in Canada. I mean, so here's, here's the, I think the natural or the traditional uh, route for most brands that are coming to life, it, it would be to uh, minimize the costs maximize the production and the output. Um, of course, that wasn't your goal at all. Your goal was quality, assembly, and and materials. Yep. So, like, that was true to the core of the brand. Like, um, And how difficult was it for you guys to figure out manufacturing in Canada? There's not many people doing it, so uh, it's it can be challenging. I mean, it was challenging off the bat. Like like I said, we, we went through a number of different people that tried to make the idea that we had in our head and it, it was just a complete bust. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, listen, there's so many options if you go overseas and everyone's really, really concerned with padding their bottom line. But for us, it was never about that. You know, I, I think, you know, I think about this all the time and I, I don't know if it's just like subconscious, but like my grandparents were immigrants. Um, one of my grandmothers was a seamstress here in Toronto when she moved here. She worked in, the fashion industry. And I don't know if that is subconsciously built into me, but creating a product that is built here has just almost become a natural thing. And it's just more about like reviving it and being proud of what we can do here, not necessarily about the bottom line. And, and, and it's truly something that I'm proud of. I'm proud that like all of our products are made right in my backyard. I, I know every single face in that factory that contributes to the completion of a product, which not a lot of people can say. And I like that they're treated well. I like that they like that they're there. You know, they're not forced to be there. They can walk out whenever they want. Um, and they just love what they do. And they love, they actually love us. They love that we are like, that this is so important to us that when we walk in there, they're happy to see us. And they're like, oh, like, you know, did we make a mistake here? How can we correct it? And, and you know, I don't even know what your original question was, but... Uh, <laughs> Like you're on the right, you're on the right page. Yeah. It, it, it just is, it's, it, it's been, it's been tough in the sense where like, you know, you really got to work with like those few select partners and, and you guys got to build a really strong and, and important relationship where you believe in each other because it's, it, it's not like you can, I can just pick up and be like, you know what? I'm sick of you. I'm going to go down the street. Right. Right. I mean, I, I agree. And in actually being connected and being able to see and and communicate and, be part of the process because you know you're in the you're in the same spot you're in the backyard you certainly can't do that overseas and i think a lot of you know although luxury brands produce overseas uh all the time um you know quality control uh is always paramount for them they figure a way to factor that in but i think that there's something to be said about producing something locally in your backyard and how important do you think that story was or is to your customers i think it's very important i think especially now with what we're living through i mean you know, I was looking at our, our e-commerce numbers just the other day. Uh, we are up significantly since last year. We're not doing anything different, okay? We are up significantly in terms of traffic, 
in terms of so people are searching for weekender bags canada weekender bags toronto um we're up on all metrics especially when it comes to e-commerce and i honestly truly believe that it has to do with the fact that we're going through a pandemic and that customers now are have shifted their what's important to them um, it's not necessarily about price anymore now it's like where are these made are we supporting something local uh, are we supporting our local community because that's where i want to put my money so um you know if you ask me in 2012 my answer would probably be a lot different but now you know we were, we always thought that it would be important to the customer we always thought that being ethically made um you know trying to reverse the fast fashion kind of fa cycle um would be important to you know not everyone this is not it's not a mass consumer but there's people like you mm -hmm. all over the place that this means a lot to so um it means just as much to you as it, as it does to me and and you know it, it, i ultimately i think it's it's it is quite important and, and it, it's it's part of our brand ethos it's it's what makes monty and co what it is you know it's raw materials quality craftsmanship and affordable price point yeah and the the, the trifecta is a mix that is like perfect it's the perfect scenario for anybody you know, making conscious purchases and ones that will last you know longer than than expected so style design everything goes into that um style and design it, I think creates excitement and it creates interest and the story behind it, you know, being that, you know, it is part of your ethos and it's, it's your core. I think when people hear that, whether they're a consumer or they're a potential partner, they, they begin to buy into that and they get excited about that. So I think that, um, you know, keeping that story going is terribly important, but has it afforded you any partnerships and relationships? And the one I'm thinking about was the, um, infinity uh, program can yep. you describe that because i think i think again getting back to where people are going to get value it's it's going to be from understanding all of the steps that you've taken along the way and you know now we can check off the partnerships box um and the collaboration box so you know why don't we uh why don't we hear about that yeah so infinity was really supporting entrepreneurship they were looking at creating a uh an entrepreneurship lab in toronto where they were going to you know, have an accelerator program. They were going to nurture different businesses in, in, in the city. And, um, you know, as part of that, as part of that, the growth of that, that pillar that they wanted to be part of their business, they wanted to tell a story about it that would, you know, be a digital campaign. So they hired a, a media agency in the city and they, they started hunting for brands. And, uh, you know, I don't know who was up against this because they've never, no one's ever told us that it was just very discreet, but, um, you know, there was a number of different brands and it came down to, to Monty and Co and another one that apparently had like millions of followers and they, they chose us because of our story, because of our ethos, because of what we were trying to do. And I guess this goes back to your previous question. Like, has that been important for you? Like, yes, it has, because mm -hmm. that made us stand out. Like someone in a, in a, in a boardroom at a billion dollar company said, no, I don't want. I don't want, I don't care if these guys are going to get us 10 times the impressions online. This is a better story. So um, they chose us. We shot a video surrounding uh, the QX50, which was, uh, you know, which is one of their, their, their nicer kind of SUVs and, and how to incorporate that car into the daily life of an entrepreneur, whether it's with your family, whether it's with, um, you know, day to day going to the office. And uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a fun little project. We, 
we shot a, a day long commercial. It was in February, I think two years ago. There's the, the that horrendous storm was happening. They thought they were gonna have to cancel the shoot. We were driving the QX50 in ice. I told them, I'm like, this is not a testament to the car that you've built. Um, nothing you know, else is. Nothing else is. Like this is, we're actually shooting a commercial with these things in the middle of a snowstorm. Canadian winter. Yeah, it's, Canadian winter. Couldn't was, be better. Yeah, it was so serendipitous that way. But um, yeah, it was cool, man. Like it was kind of like what we're doing here times like 20, you know, like just lights, camera like i felt like i was on a movie set you know Full production. makeup people yeah. it's like i don't wear makeup yeah, yeah you do you're putting you makeup do. on um it was fun man and uh you know they promoted it online it got over a million impressions and uh yeah we still get customers that come to come to our website and fill out our post-purchase survey and it's like yeah infinity oh we, we you know we heard about you two years ago and you know there are people it, it just uh there are people that discovered us that way and and we've just been in the back of their mind they've just been waiting for the, the opportunity to kind of pulled the trigger and joined the Montinko family. So uh, it was a fun collaboration. Again, it's it's one of those those moments where you're like, you know, Holt Renfrew, Hudson's Bay, Infinity. Like, it's just, it's like, if those aren't signs punching you smack in the face that, you know, you, sh you should be pushing this business and trying to make it as special as possible, then I don't know, you know, what is. Well, th that's an indicator for sure. I mean, it just seems like all of your brand messaging and your um your activations your engagement pieces have been so substantial that all of those connections and those audiences that follow those 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 brands hudson's bay holt renfrew of course infinity it's it's brand alignment at its best mm -hmm. so i mean you really have carved out an audience that i think would not only um love to have the bags um but you've of course expanded the offering into accessories as well so i think that once they get an understanding of when it's right to pull that trigger then they're going to be loyal and a fan for life uh because i know i am and so i'm like most people you know i don't necessarily spend um frivolously i don't i just don't dump money in things i actually spend time researching and you know, I think now more than ever, uh, the online component is is massive. The e-commerce side of this business and the one that you're that you're in is is hugely important. Um, those relationships, like Infinity and and the brand partnerships that you've pulled together, and those eyeballs that you've gained online, um, so hugely important to where we're going to go now. And and the commerce play is going to be massive. The reviews are going to be important. You know, and understanding the community and the lifestyle is is uh part of me being coming a member of your you know monty and co family to your mm -hmm. point mm -hmm. because we're all aligned somehow and i think that you know have you considered i mean i'm sure i've uh, i think your your website's painless in in ordering but that had to be uh, a major factor in making sure that you know the time in and time online with you and your brand is seamless like is there a lot of effort in going into maintenance and upgrading and since COVID, have you done anything different online to kind of ado adopt a new uh, thinking? Um, I'm going to answer that question. But before we go there, I just want to say that, yes, like the eyeballs with all these massive collaborations are fantastic. But I also do want to point out how important partners like you are um, that, that have supported us from the beginning, that carry us, you know, that maybe aren't like ma these massive global companies, but um, on a smaller scale support us within their own communities. Um, that's just as important. So I, I, I don't want anyone listening to this thinking like okay i gotta go hunt for whales right because trust me if you go right. hunting for whales and you come up empty <laughs> you ain't gonna you're have empty. much you're, you're empty. empty so i just want to point that out but yeah it's, in great, it's a great point and i'm glad you uh you emphasize that yeah so in in terms of our website um you know 
yes, a lot of work goes into it. You know, many people actually reach out to us and are like, you have one of the nicer websites that I've, I've seen. Like you guys feel like, like a billion dollar brand, you know? And I'm like, okay, we're getting there. You know, we're getting <laughs> there. Way. Baby steps. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's Shopify makes it really easy, like template wise, but yes, it does take work. Um, what I would say is, is really key is, is spending on assets. So, you know, I know it's tough when you start out, but like if you want to make your website, like look really sexy and, and impress people, then, it might cost you five to 10 grand to take, you know, to get into a studio with a really great photographer and have them create the, your vision. It, it, it just pays for itself down the road because your, your, your website is your retail store. Your website is your sales page. It's where people come to meet you, shake your hand and decide if they like you or not. And if it doesn't look good and the messaging's not on point, then you're toast. I mean, at the end of the day, your toast. I mean, that's the, it's the first impression, you know, it's, it's a silent salesperson. Yeah. It's a silent, exactly. It's a silent salesperson. So yeah, it, it, it does take a lot of work, you know, writing the perfect product descriptions that, you know, are SEO researched so that you can be discovered. But, you know, like I said, spending on the assets, um, cropping the photos the right way. Uh, it's it just, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a really, really important kind of component of, of commerce today yeah and and it takes work like i so one of my partners i mentioned is is in the tech space and he's obviously really good at building websites because that's a lot of his you know hard work and labor making sure that everything looks seamless and is on brand and uh i i would honestly say it's 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 one of the, you you just really got to spend some time and money on making that really really sexy because like I said, again, I know I, I probably I'm beating a dead horse here, but like it is absolutely pivotal that your website is just represents everything that you are. Right. It really becomes that uh, that knock on the door, that touch on the shoulder and that opportunity to develop a relationship. And right off the bat, if it's if it's sullied or flawed somehow, then chances are you could have a knockout factor. They're not going to return. They didn't like something about it. But if you can try to be that future thinking consumer, like what is it going to be? that entertains them, that keeps them in line with us. And is it, is it slick? Did we make this, did we make our investment worthwhile? Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. Um, we always talk about in entrepreneurship and in life in general now, a, a new buzzword, and we're not necessarily so new, but uh, a thinking is around defining your why. Um, and we've seen some TED Talks on that, and it's it's been huge and I think very, very valuable for not only entrepreneurs, but people Um to define what their purpose is internally um, and then have an outward conversation about that. So like, and this is getting back to, you know, why is the brand important? Why does it exist? Why does it mean anything at all to their customer base? So if you were to define why Monty and co exists, could you put that into words? Yeah. Monty and co exists to uh, create luxury travel essentials that are, um, affordable, well-made and, and, uh, using eco-conscious raw materials. But, you know, we lever, we, we make morally responsible decisions, uh, along the way to, to help curb fast fashion and, and do better, um, make better decisions for our environment and, and our communities. So, um, that, that's not how I actually should, I meant to draw it up, but yeah, in a nutshell, that's, that is our why. And, um, you know, it's always been about just, being an authentic brand that like just does good things, you know, it's just it, that that is the why. It's like make good products, do good for the environment, 
sell them for a fair price and and that's it like those yeah amazing i mean i'm sold uh and i know a bunch of uh, our listeners are going to check out monty and co online um to find out more uh and and because you're here i can't help but want to talk a little bit about um the mr uh andrew quelo podcast the mr the andrew quelo show jeez man don't worry, we'll get it by the end of this. Trust me. I'm I'm positive we will. I'm never I'm never great at that, but I do know that once I'm connected, I'm connected. So, um, so I mean, coming off of being successful with uh, with starting the brand and having these partnerships and and having real sales and and distribution channels, I mean, um, it gave uh, light to an idea, and you know, I think that you're you're an ideas guy. So, how did that come about, and you know, where are you at with it right now? Um, so. You know, the podcast is my why, all right? Um, I, I, I know how hard this business is. I know how hard being an entrepreneur is. It's, it's every day's a learning. There's a learning curve every day. You know, you're, you got to always be willing to learn something new, to, to be humble enough to take steps backwards, to go forwards. Um, and, you know, this podcast has become my why. I want to help people that... Um, want to be entrepreneurs, not necessarily fashion entrepreneurs, although that that is the the niche, that is or the niche. However, you, however people yes. say it nowadays, um, that is the niche. It, it's you know people that are interested in fashion that potentially want to start a business. Um, but it applies to there's there's so many tidbits in there for all entrepreneurs, and I just want to help people because you know I've had people help me. I've also had to learn the hard way. And if there's like one or two tidbits of information that I can help. Uh, put out there and extract from the guests that I have on and that, that, that's my main goal with the podcast is to just really help those people that are like oh man like I want to start a bag brand don't start a bag brand <laughs> jump in another category but um, yeah it's uh, it's my why I just want to help you know and it, it's it, and kind of you know I look at it as like a free mentorship program you know you can turn it off you can turn it on whenever the hell you want I'm not charging you for it just you know there's listen to it, take what you want from it. And I hope it helps. And well, I loved your humble opening. It really kind of defines why you're doing it. And, you know, I think at one point during that opening episode where you describe, you know, the show, uh, you say, so why am I talking? And, you know, why, why is that valuable to you? I'm going to have amazing guests and my gosh, your guest lineup. I mean, it's like you've handpicked the creme de la creme um, of the, the fashion entrepreneurship world. So I mean, that's got to be challenging in itself, but they find something that's relatable. And, they, and you know, how do you find the guests? And, and you know, I'd like to talk more about, like, what's the best insights that you've heard from them? And, you know, maybe you can share a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, I've been blessed to have, you know, I'm only 21 episodes in. Um, I've been really blessed to have really, really great guests. I mean, you know, for people that have not encountered my podcast yet, like I've had Jim Moore on, who was the creative director of GQ for like over 40 years or 30 years. I forget what it is. I got to go back and listen to the episode. But like, it's just like something I would have never imagined in my wildest dreams, having someone like that so early on. And, and you know, now he's a mentor and a, a friend and it just, you know, that side of it just like absolutely incredible. But um, you know what? I, I just, I really believe that you don't get if you don't ask. Okay. So I could, I could have sat there and been like, Oh my God, I'm so scared to, to reach out to him. What if he says no? Well, I mean, that's the worst. He's, he's not, he's not going to say, no, you're an idiot. He's just going to say no. That's right. And, and uh, he says, no, you move on, you find someone else. So I, I just, you know, I find people that I think I would be interested in 
And I just reach out to them and say, this is what the goal of this podcast is. And it's to help people, um, help other entrepreneurs, help people in fashion. And the incredible thing about successful people and, and, and other entrepreneurs is that it's just built in that they want to help because they know how hard it is to get to that success. And everyone, like, I have never had anyone be like, no, like, I just, I'm not interested in this. You know, usually it's a, a scheduling issue or a timing issue. So it's something that will happen down the road. But um, that's what I find the most remarkable is like that there's like so many other people out there like me that are like, well, I just, I would never put out the podcast, but I'm happy to be on it because I, I want to help as well. Amazing. I mean, that's in itself. I think you, you said a lot of very important things. First of all, mentorship is a byproduct of what you've built there. And, mm. And uh, I'm going to ask a question about that in a second. But the other one was um, that if you don't ask, you don't get. Mm -hmm. uh, what a, a simple way to look at what you're doing. I mean, anybody out there that's facing um, that roadblock or that barrier and has that fear of failure, you know, that worry of perfection, I think if you can just boil it down into uh, a, a very succinct sentence, it's if you don't ask, you don't get. And you're right. It's not a personal no if ever it comes back. It just might be a different way to arrange it, to navigate a different path to get there. Um, but that's huge. So I, I, I love I love listening to the podcast. You've had incredible guests, like I described, um, ones with real-life experiences that are valuable uh, for anybody, no less an entrepreneur. Um, but now I want to figure out that that mentorship you spoke about. Like, um, was there a mentor for you growing up? And if not, how how important do you think mentorship is? I mean, I think you're right. Entrepreneurs, business people typically like to share their experiences to be able to help others. That's really why this podcast came to life, not only from a business standpoint, but from a life experiences standpoint. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot and we want to be able to share and help. And that's why you're here today. But how important or valuable do you think that mentorship relationship is for anybody? I think it's so, so important. I mean, you know, Everyone's got their own idea and perception of, of, you know, who they are or what their business should be or, you know, just your, your own ideals. And, and I think sometimes uh, having a mentor can, you know, as long as you're okay with taking the honest feedback. And I'm not talking about like, oh, it's great. It's nice. I mean, like, punch me in the face and tell me what the hell I'm doing wrong here. Tell me what I'm doing you, wrong. You know? Yeah. And um, I think if you're open to that, then that's, that, that's where you really get the value out of it. You know, like I... I you know, I hate to bring him up again, but I had an hour call with Jim Moore yesterday. Uh, he's been mentoring me. And, you know, it's a Saturday, first of all. I'm talking to this guy on a Saturday. He's taking time out of his weekend to talk to me, which is, like, remarkable. But, you know, he's, like, punching me in the face. He's being like, well, you know, you could have done this. In, like, and he'll, he'll go through the collection and pick a product and be like, you could have done this. And, I, and then I, well, I... But like I was thinking this, but like yeah, but you could have done this, and it's like oh my god, this what guy, value. this oh guy, god. this guy is like been all, like he's responsible for all the cover shoots you've seen on GQ for the last forty years, and he's telling me like I should have done this, well maybe I should have done that, you know. It just it, it really gets your mind in different places, is what I'm trying to say. And mm -hmm. there's things that you maybe necessarily wouldn't have thought about, and I honestly do think it's 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 really important. It also keeps you um, engaged because now you almost feel. Um, you know, like that mentor is almost like a parent that you don't want to disappoint, right? It's, it's, they're keeping you accountable. Because the last thing a mentor wants to do is be like, well, the last time we spoke, we talked about all these things. Where are we with those things? Oh, I haven't done anything. Well, guess what? That person's not going to mentor you anymore because they're going to be like, you're just a complete waste of time and you're not committed. And, you know, 
So I think, you know, from a knowledge standpoint, it's it's just obviously so imperative, but also from an accountability standpoint is, is where I really think it can help you. You know, when you pair those two things together, um, you know, tapping into, into ideas or concepts or whatever that you maybe didn't think of, and then keeping you accountable to take one or two of the, one or two of those things and 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 put them into into fruition um i think that's you know where the rubber really hits the road with mentorship and i mean listen we're all we're all we're, we don't all know everything right and you know i look at my partnership with my partners as as mentorship you know i have you know nick's really strong in he's been a ceo of his own company for you know 10 years or, or whatever it is now you know how much he's learned through having employees through losing deals through, you know, whatever. And that goes for all my partners. They've all got their unique experiences where when you get together in a room, it's like, well, last time this happened, last time I approached a deal like this, it fell through. So like, let's maybe try to do this. Or last time I approached a deal like this, it went through. So, you know, let's be a little bit more aggressive. And it, it's just, I think it's like so important and we're not all know-it-alls. So don't think that you're a know-it-all and that, you know, don't get me wrong. You you can figure anything out, but you know, four, five, six, seven brains is better than one. At the end of the day, well, I always say. I mean, there's some people that thrive in making decisions in isolation, and you know, I, I always applaud them because they they live and die by the the decision. And you know, there's really nobody other than themselves to be accountable to. And so, good or bad, whether it works or not, is entirely on them. Um, whereas I like to initi initiate the idea and then collaborate because to your point five six seven brains collaborating and especially if they're diverse like your partnership is um then i think you get the best of everybody and that's where i think something dynamic can really happen if you if you want to you know launch with x as the uh, potential outcome um but you've taken it to a whole different level because you've had these collaborations then that's I think where you can truly find the value in other people's minds, helping you kind of move to the next level. I'll also say that I, I do think it's important to like have a vision and, you know, be stubbornly, stubbornly stuck to that vision. But, you know, you have to have, you know, you know, the humility to take the feedback, um, but also not almost take it as gospel or, or, you know, take it with a grain of salt sometimes because, that, that person might not be right either. You know, you might see something that, that they don't see. And, you know, if, if, if that's something that you're going to be really stubborn on, then all the power to you, you know, totally. I'm not, I'm not saying like, you know, take everyone's opinion and, 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 you know, incorporate it into what your vision is. Like have a vision, but also don't be, you know, so arrogant and have such a big ego where you can't like, like I said earlier, take a couple steps back and think, okay, maybe he's right. Maybe we could, maybe we could do this now. Um, and then, and then see if that's a success. I think a lot of it's trial and error, right? You know, it, a lot it's of just, it's trial and error. You said it off the top. You got to make mistakes to, to be successful. I mean, like the, the, the biggest entrepreneurs on the planet, trust me, have screwed up along the way many, many times. Oh yeah. And, um, I think that's also very important is like, you know, to have that humility to make those mistakes. You know, don't, I think a lot of people are, are afraid to, you know, when they start in the business to like tell their friends, like, oh, I screwed this up. You know, mm -hmm. everyone wants to be like, oh, I'm doing so well. There's my Porsche outside and I, I just bought a cottage. And like, you know, it's like, haha, like 
that's not how it works. Like, that's not how it happens. Like, no. everyone knows it. Like, th- sure, there's like a couple of anomalies that, you know, hit the jackpot and they do ev- they do everything right off the bat. But, I mean, that's, that's those are anomalies for a reason. Yeah, they're anomalies. And, and quite honestly, we don't know the context, the background of where, uh, what happened well before, right. you know, those, those, uh, those, you know, pleasure points came to life, the, gla- oh. the glamour side of it. Overnight, uh, overnight success is not a thing. Okay, so anyone listening to this, like, you know, when they're like, oh, this guy just blew up overnight. No, he didn't. He no. spent like five, six, seven years in his apartment, you know, sending a th- thousands of emails and, and putting, grinding out all this work. And then it happened, you know. So it, that, there's no overnight success. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, the quick rich schemes, the whole idea that this is, you know, as easy as it sounds. If it sounds easy, chances are it's not real. No. I mean, especially knowing what we know from building the businesses that we've. Right. And that, to that point, I mean, you've been, this whole podcast is peppered with advice and it's going to be hugely valuable to the audience, but is there any kind of like lasting things you'd like to leave, um, you know, an impression with for anybody that wants to, you know, do product design, manufacturing, uh, distribution? I mean, all the things that you've experienced in the Monty and Co and the podcast land, can you, can you kind of put together a little, here's my tidbits of, you know, how you can make this work advice. Yeah, man, where do I start? There's just like so many things. Um, you know, I think I think we touched on a lot of them, though. Um, I think, you know, the one thing I would I would say is, you know, reverse engineer things. So if you want to sell a product, um, you know, reverse engineer the costs of what it takes to create that product. Just because you have a good idea for a product doesn't mean that you can make one at a price point that's going to sell. Um, so well, my first thing would be, uh, my, my first, I guess, concept or idea would be to reverse engineer that process. So like if you were going to, you know, start a candle company, but you know, it costs you three bucks to build, make the candle. It costs you $4 to market the candle. It costs you $3 to package and brand the candle. And then you got to sell it online. All of a sudden, can you sell a $30 candle? I don't know. Are you going to wholesale the candle? Do you want people to sell it in their retail store? And now guess what? That candle's got to be 60 bucks. Does that make sense? I don't know. Listen, there's, there's Lilabo selling candles for $600, 42, you know, 42 ounce candles, which to me is absolutely insane. I guess there's a market for everything, which is something that I've learned that there's a customer for everything. For but, everything. You know, you have to, in the early days, you got to be practical about things. And, and that's, you know, one exercise I would suggest doing if you want to start a product is just like make sure that the end price point you get to has enough built in for you to sustain a business long term. You're going to need employees. You're going to need to hire, you know, people to run ads. And if there's not enough margin in that product, then you're toast off the bat. Like you're just, you're not going to grow. And this gets back to something we spoke about before on the podcast, which is to know your audience. Like what's their threshold for pain? What's the investment level? Are they gladly reaching into their pocket um, to buy into a lifestyle, to buy into a brand, and to buy into whatever that. And if it's a $30 candle, a $60 candle, or a $500 bag, um, I think it's hugely important to understand the audience and getting back to knowing where they land and what's fair market for them. Mm-hmm. You know, what's that? This is okay for me to buy because it's in line with who and what I believe in. And and that, I think, is, you know, w- with your reverse engineered piece and knowing your audience, I think it's a very good piece of advice. Yeah, and then, you know, I would say be very clear on your mission. Uh, be very clear on what your brand ethos is, what you stand for, and then 
Um, like I said earlier, build a really great website with really great assets and tell that story properly. Um, listen, you know, they, the old adage, there's, you only get one crack at a first impression. There, there are a lot of people that will land on your website once, and if they don't like what they see, they're, they're never coming back. So um, spend the time to do that, and then, you know, ultimately treat your customers like gold. You don't have a business if you don't have customers. You Beautiful. could build the best product. You could have the best photos. You could have a really sexy-looking website, but if you don't have customers, you don't have a business, and just just treat them well. Like early days Monty & Co., um, if a customer would, like, write in and say, I want to exchange my bag or I need, I want a bag and I'm going away for the weekend. Like, can I get it? It's like Thursday. Can I get it tomorrow? Like, literally would package the bag and drive it to a customer. You know, early days, you want every single customer. You're not gonna be like, no, sorry. It's not going to get there in time. Yeah. I'll drive it to you. You know, <laughs> you got an answer for it for right, sure. Right. Like I had one guy that was like, Oh, I, I actually changed my mind. Can we, can we exchange it? And like, you know, you're, and nowadays it's just like you send them a return label and just like send it in so your business is a little further along but back then you don't have all this money so it's just like i'll come and meet you and we'll do the exchange the, the incredible thing is like those customers are still customers and to them they're like wow this person like went above and beyond to to do that and those are the those, those are the type of businesses that i want to support that i'm okay with putting my money in his pocket because i know that at the end of the day he's making a great product and he's treating me well. So, you know, customer service, customer service, customer service, answer every email, answer it quickly. Um, and, and honestly, uh, a, a really good tip I think off the bat is to, uh, you know, who, who, who really did this well, uh, back in the day was Chip Wilson who started Lululemon. And uh, I read his book and what I found really interesting was that he created focus groups. So he would go and get, um, you know, he'd bring lady friends, people in the community where he lived out, out west in, in Vancouver um, or wherever he lived, but uh, on the west coast. And he would bring them into the room and say, here's black stretchy pants. Tell me what you don't like about them or what you do like about them. How can we make them better? And that's how we kind of iterated and made, you know, the pants that every girl on the planet is wearing now. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, your customer your customer is the person that's going to drive the business. So you want the feedback from that customer. So just, you know, it, it might be a good idea if you want to sell a $600 candle to find 10 people that would maybe buy a $600 candle and ask them why or why they wouldn't buy yours. Yeah, make, make this the best experience for you and help me do that. I want yeah. to bring it to life. I think customer experience is everything. We've also spoke about that. It's, it's, there's, no, there's no surprise why you're so successful why the brand's doing so well, why the podcast has taken off, because you're following all of, although they're, they're rudimentary at best. Basic. However, yeah. you know, sometimes it's in the simplicity, the simplicity of treating your customers like gold, understanding your audience, knowing if you've got a fair market price. I mean, these are all very key pieces to developing not only the brand and the product, but the relationship, and the relationship turns into everything. Without it, you have no opportunity to put anything that they may love or, 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 or want uh, in front of them. Yeah, and listen, at the end of the day, if you're an entrepreneur, yes, we're all here to run a business and make money, but like true entrepreneurs are creating a solution for somebody. And again, it goes back to the customer. So that, that, that would be my, my focus. I think that's great. That's huge advice for anybody listening um, and then last, um, 
I want to ask you because I think that this becomes those little those takeaways that people love, but is there an app, a technology, a website that you just can't live without that you want to share as maybe a tool or a resource or a point of reference to help people out there? I can list a few off. So I'll, I'll, I'll value pack this thing. Um, so as, you know, as, as an early days entrepreneur, when you don't have a big team, you got to rely on a lot of tools, especially stuff that can streamline, uh, that can help you do things that you maybe don't have the skill set to do. So um, in a fashion business and a product-based business, photography and, and graphic design is everything. But guess what? I'm, I'm not a photographer or a graphic designer, nor do I want to pay someone 50 bucks an hour to design an Instagram post. So Canva is a lifesaver. Canva is absolutely, it's like, it's like Photoshop for, for idiots. Like, you know, like you can literally go on there and it's all drag and drop and every day it gets better. You know, you can create animated things and it's, it Canva, Canva. If you're, if you're, you know, especially to help build out your Instagram, I actually think they just launched a, um, a social, like a social media planner built within that. I saw that too. Yeah. So, um, Canva's incredible. Um, what else is good? So for SEO, I talk about, you know, writing product descriptions that were keyword driven um, or if you're creating like written content and content marketing. Uber Suggest is a free um, SEO tool that you can go in and punch keywords and it tells you like the volumes and this is how you should structure your copy because those that's how people are going to find you. So I use Uber Suggest. There is a limit on, on free um, on free searches, but you know, it's, it's definitely a tool that I use all the time. Just to, sometimes I just go through the website to, to see like, Oh, what, what, what are people, what people search for changes month by month. So I might be using weekender bag on our website today. Next week it might be duffel bag. Duffel. Right. So if I, if I was getting hypothetically 40,000 people searching for weekender bag and for some reason, you know, someone in the media said duffel bag and now everyone's calling it a duffel bag. I've lost 40,000 people that I got to, you know, make that change. So Uber suggest is great for that. Um, what else do we got? You know, social media, uh, tailwind is a great one, uh, for Pinterest and Instagram. And all, I will say also Pinterest heavily underrated social media. It is like the hybrid between Google AdWords and, um, and, and Instagram. So you get the visual and, but there's a really big SEO and search component. So, um, tailwind is great to help navigate that it lets you publish pins at mass um it, it plans out the perfect times to post your pins and instagram you can use it as an instagram posting tool it automatically posts so you can set it and forget it um which i think is fantastic you just build out all the content in advance and it just goes so that's something i would invest in i think it's like 150 bucks a year uh, totally worth it and then back to simplicity mm-hmm. the most rudimentary things your my calendar is my bible Okay. My calendar, like it's free. Google gives it to you, but everything I do every day is in my calendar. So I will either, you know, before the day ends or in the morning, I will look at my calendar and see like, what are the five things I need to do today? And I will slot them in with a time block for each one. So if it's uh, SEO and I I say, I'm going to spend two hours on it, I put it in two hours and then I'll start a timer. Like I'll, I'll just pull up the egg timer. I'll Google the egg timer and I'll start a timer for, you know, 95 minutes or, or whatever it is and i'll have that run and that will basically tell me you got this is your task and that's how long you have to do it get to work super disciplined and and yeah well you have to be mm-hmm. you know there's like a million things to do when you run i mean you i don't have to tell you this I'm, I'm just i'm speaking to the audience there's a million things that need to be done when you're running a business and you know if you're dilly-dallying every day you, you know you 
you got to think of it like the days and the hours add up at the end, right? So if I'm wasting an hour and a half every day over a week, that's seven and a half hours over a year, whatever the math is on that, I don't know, but that's a lot of time, right? And if you're productive during that time, it, it could mean everything. It could mean, you know, making a contact through email that you maybe didn't make the contact with because you were, you know, screwing around doing whatever. Something else. Or like watching YouTube or whatever, you know. When people down the doing, rabbit hole. Yeah, down the rabbit hole. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a really basic one. That is free, but it also comes down to, you know, it really helps with discipline and, and being productive. So that's, uh, I think there's four or five things I gave there. I hope that's. It's great. Listen, I mean, uh, I think. You talked about tips on, on how to be more efficient, how to be more productive. Um, you and I share the same philosophy when it comes to time slots and time management. I can't live without the calendar. And it becomes now my, my go-to. Even if I have a chance to schedule a half-hour downtime, you know, I put it in the calendar because I need to be reminded that you just got to maybe refuel right now. This is a good time for you to chill out and do something else. Everything's in there. Everything's in Everything's there for me, too. I, I, I live the same way you do, bud. I even have, like... Um I have some time slots during the week that actually say like lunch and learn or learn, which where I take like an hour and I'll, I'll just learn something new. doesn't matter what it is. It could be SEO. It could be social media. It could be about design, whatever. But like, I will, I will block that time off. And, and the same thing like you, like I will, if I'm go if I need an hour and a half to work out five times a week or four times a week, it's in there. And when that shows up, if I get to 1130 and that's in the calendar, you just, you don't think about it. You're not like, Oh, I need to finish this. Like, because that's just as important. Your, your mental and physical health are really um, just as important in this, you know, game of longevity than, than anything else. So it's a long game. If you're you got to be here for it. If you're not taking care of yourself, you're not, you're not going to last. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, listen, I want to make sure listeners know exactly where they can go to find these incredible bags and accessories. So can you tee us up for that? Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, visit us at montyandco.com. Follow us on Instagram. Um, that's that's probably the two key key places to to find us. So it's m o n t e a n d c o e dot com, and uh, yeah, you know you can also follow me on Instagram at Mr Andrew Quelo, uh, where you can interact with my podcast. If you have questions, you know I'm, I'm not all talk and fluff. I I will answer your DMs. So if if you know something comes up, uh, you have a thought, you just need a little bit of mentorship. Like I'm more than happy to help. So, uh, you know, that's where you can get at me personally. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. This has been such a blast. I'm so happy, man. I think that we've done uh, our part in suggesting that people are going to walk away from this more knowledge, a little more experience, and definitely more driven to fulfill what they're doing in their their business startups. So, their why. Andrew, yeah, their why, exactly. Thanks so much for joining me today, but I can't wait to, to continue to watch the success of the brands and to tune into the podcast. So thanks for being on ours. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.